Please be seated. Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you here this morning. We, as as Kathy was just saying, um, we have a lot to be grateful for. We have a lot to be thankful for. And we here in this room, we know a God who loves us deeply. But what's more remarkable about that really, is that God knows us, and he still loves us deeply. That is a a good thing, that God knows us like he does, and he chooses to love us like he does. And when I think about what we have to give to those who don't know Jesus, it's not about them having to stop doing something, that they have to give up this or they have to give up that, and they can't do this or they can't do that. Church, when we take Jesus to the world, it is his love that changes the world. It is his love that changes people's lives. It is his love that redefines everything that we know and do and see. And that's where really our mission statement comes from. We believe that the love of God in Jesus changes everything. Not one thing, not a couple of things. It changes everything because this love is redefining. When you experience it and you know it, it changes things about your life. And we have these values, these things that we've identified as being the things we want to represent Uh, So the first one, of course, is belong, that Jesus changes the way we experience community. We are a community that is defined by the love of God and Jesus, and therefore we will be different than any other community that someone can be a part of, because in this community, it is not about succeeding. It is about knowing we are failures and knowing that we need a Savior. Our second value is grow, that Jesus changes the way we see ourselves. That we no longer see ourselves as these capable people, but rather people who are dependent. And because we are people who are dependent on this God, this infinite and great loving God, when we look at ourselves, we know that there is always somewhere for us to grow. There is always somewhere for us to grow closer in our relationship with God, to grow closer in giving that love of God to other people. There is always somewhere for us to grow. And as we talked about last week, our third value is give, that Jesus changes the way we respond to other people. Just like Jesus gave of himself and gave everything, we too are called to give of ourselves, to give sacrificially to other people. And we don't do it because we have to or because we're commanded to. We do it because, like Jesus, our hearts are moved for those in need. And when we see a need, we respond to it because we want people to experience a loving God. And when we are stingy people, they don't experience a loving God. They experience a God who says, no, I can't help you. So we give. And then lastly, we go because Jesus changes our understanding of what others need. 
We don't just look at them as people who their lives are great and look at what they have or look at what they don't have. Instead, when we look at them, we, the question that comes to our mind is, do they know the love of God in Jesus? And if they don't, we identify that as the primary need. No matter what else is going on, they need to know Jesus. Now, I, I wrote a little something in the bulletin for you this week, uh, which is going to describe part of what I'm telling you right now. But uh, we are going to be continuing to talk about uh, our vision, about our values, about these things. We're going to be tying it in just like we are now to all kinds of different things. But I want to make sure that you don't ever forget what they are. Uh, so we are going to do some decorating in this room. Uh, we are going to have our vision statement on one wall. We're going to have our values on the other wall. And uh, up front, we are going to have some images for you. Because all of us learn in different ways and remember in different ways. And some of you are visual learners to where you an image or, or a picture or something can help you remember. So here's what I did. I drew some things for us. Okay? That's right. That's right. I didn't use any stick figures either. So I stayed to basic shapes. Um, so here's the first one. This is what represents the belong value for us. Now, look, I, I could go on. I'm, I'm not, I don't think I have time to do this right now. But one of my friends who is a graphic designer and helped me with some of the concepts explained the importance of colors to me. So sometime, if you're interested, I want to explain to you all the colors. Um, but this one is belong, these different colors inside of one inside of one piece. The second one, uh, for grow, pretty obvious, right? Uh, number three, forgive. Now see this one, the green, right? There's a part of the green that has been given to the purple. So what did it do? It gave of itself. Eh? Ah, you with me? Right? Right? Okay, and then the last one. This one is go, because we are taking Jesus out to the world. So, we are going to have these things uh, up in here. They will be on our website. They will be all around. Uh, I think Ron and Shirley are experimenting with making t-shirts with the things on them. <laughs> so, uh, but the point is, um, all of these things that we've done, we've been praying about, we've been working on, that leadership has worked on, that we've talked to you about, that we're still talking to you about, that we've been praying about, that we've met about to pray about, that you are going to have, you're going to be invited over the next couple of weeks to be a part of uh, meetings with the eldership in your homes to talk more about it and to talk where we're going to start and what we're going to do. It's an exciting time to be us. I just, I still think that. It's an exciting time to be us. And, and I'm glad that we are us. And I'm glad that we are us right now. Because the who we are right now is inviting God to come and to move us. And that's a, that's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing. So I hope that you are still plugged into this, that you're still excited about what's going on, that you're still looking forward to what God is going to do through us because God is faithful. Amen? Amen. And when his people say, God, will you lead us? Will he lead us? Yes, he will. When we say, God, send us into something that you want us to do, will he send us? And will he give us what we need to go every time? Praise God. Praise God. You, uh, 
you probably don't know this, but we are in the home stretch of the story. I know. We, it's been a, a long uh, but good study, I think. This is our 38th week uh, in the story. Uh, after this one, we move to Revelation. So that'll be fun. <laughs> that'll be fun for everyone. Um, so uh, I've, I'm, it's been really neat, I think, at least for me, uh, as we have been going through the story and you know, even just over the past several weeks as we have looked at the early church, it's been really fascinating to see how the values that, that God has put on our hearts to live out and even the, the vision statement that we have, you see that manifest itself in the early church. And you see it all, you know, they, they created a new kind of community. Um, they were all growing uh, in their understanding of who God was and who, and who Jesus is. Uh, and then last week, we looked at the give value and how that value related itself to the early church. And in particular, we noted that um, any community that is going to be a community of Jesus, you know, we call ourselves Christians, right? It's in the name that we are going to be like who? Absolutely, we will be like Christ. So any community that is going to model itself after Jesus is going to be a community that gives sacrificially of itself. Um, thank you. You too could have water delivered to your seat. <laughs> just, just write thirsty on your attendance card. Um, so any community that is going to model itself after Jesus is going to give sacrificially. And we talked about the most obvious reason, right? Is that Jesus gave sacrificially of himself. But it went farther than that, if you remember, that Jesus gave up his rights as the Son of God to come down and live like us, which he didn't have to do, and then he allowed us to criticize him, to decide whether we thought he was worth following or not, to abuse him, to beat him, and ultimately to kill him. And Jesus, as all these things were happening, he made the choice that he was going to allow all of that to happen even though his rights as the Son of God, he could have stopped all of that. But he went ahead and gave up those rights anyway because he loves us and he wanted us to have a better life with God. And so Jesus calls for us to give up our rights as people, what we think we deserve, what we think we should get for the sake of others. He encourages us to not listen to our own instincts, which our own instincts will always lead us down the path of self-preservation. And I just want you to stop and consider for a second. How many times have we used self-preservation as an excuse to either not do something or worse, to not love someone? I've, I've heard it over and over again. I, I know that I've used it myself, but Jesus kind of cuts all that out. He says we have to ignore that internal voice of self-preservation and be good to others, even if it is unfair to us or it costs us something. 
The examples that we looked at last week. If someone slaps you on one cheek, what do you do? You turn the other cheek. If someone demands your coat, you give them your tunic as well. Treat everyone well, even those who hate you. Because any joker on the street can love someone that loves them. But Jesus tells us to love our enemies and to pray for those who persecute us. To pray for those, not to pray for ourselves to be delivered from them but to pray for those who persecute us, that they might know the love of God. And we come through all those passages and we realize that if we are going to live like Jesus, then we are going to love people, all of them, no matter what they have done or said or been, we are still going to love them. That's really easy, right? We saw the early church live out these principles in their community and their relationships with one another. They actually, uh, this big group of people comes together. The church is growing massively very quickly there in uh, Jerusalem. And so this big group of people is there. And in this big group of people, there are haves and there are have-nots. But here's what makes the community different, right? Is that the haves look at the have-nots and they think what? Well, I have... And they have not, so I should give. And they sell their possessions, they sell uh, some of their property, they do all these different things so that they can give to all these other people. They saw a need, they were moved by the need, and they gave sacrificially. And lastly, as we saw, Paul reminded the early community of faith that God wants them to give sacrificially. He wants them to give of themselves, of their possessions, of their things to other people. And Paul tells the early community of of Jesus that, look, God is a generous God. And if you are generous, what will God continue to be? Generous. And so God wants you to give. He wants you to give sacrificially. And so God is going to give you everything you need to give sacrificially. I know that sounds weird. It's because it kind of is. But some of you know the experience that Paul was writing about. You give, even though it costs you something, but what does God do? He gives you more, so that you can have more again, right? No, so you can give more. And then you are, you know, you give sacrificially, and then what does God do? He gives you more, and then you give more, and then he gives more, and then you give, you know, it's amazing kind of how that works. But this is what God wants us to do because our God is a generous God and he wants his people to be generous people. He wants us to communicate this love and care and, and providence uh, for, to everyone around. So and it was really fascinating last week. I know a lot of you, I, I certainly was, you know, we were challenged by uh, that particular lesson and I had some really great conversations with people after church I had some conversations with people who have a lot to give. And I had conversations with people who don't feel like they can give anything. But the conclusion from both camps was the same. The conversation was the same. And the reflections were this, basically, that, man, this is really hard to put into practice. It is, because it's hard for us to put this into practice because if we are going to give sacrificially, which means we feel it, 
if we are going to give sacrificially, what must we have in order to do that without worrying? We must have faith in God. You want to know where your faith becomes real? Give up something that you need for someone else, knowing that God will provide for you. It's tough. It's a tough thing. Uh, but there's one thing that I want us to know. It, it's too easy because we are such a money-centric culture. The easiest application is that, well, we have to give more money. But it goes beyond that, I think. Um, maybe we do need to give more money. But generosity covers a lot of ground, and we have opportunities to give of ourselves sacrificially every day in a multitude of ways. Think of all the clothes that you may have or the shoes that you may have. <laughs> Think of all the stuff that's lying around that other people don't. I mean, there is so much opportunity for us to give sacrificially. But these principles are important, and this is why we're reviewing all this, because it applies to what we're going to talk about today. These two principles are important. Number one, if you are a follower of Jesus, you will give sacrificially. Number one. And number two, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are called to give up your rights for the sake of others. What you think you deserve. You are called to give those up for the sake of others. Now, that's pretty tough. Those are two challenging concepts, right? Challenging concepts. It gets a little bit worse this week and even more challenging because there's more. We are not only called to give completely of ourselves for the sake of others, we are also called to give completely of ourselves for the sake of the gospel. For the sake of the news about Jesus going out into the world so that people might have an opportunity to believe. We are to devote everything we have, including our very lives, to the sake of the gospel going into the world. We are to <laughs> devote everything we have, including our very lives, for the sake of the gospel going out into the world. Now, this is not something you've never heard before. All right? You've heard this from multiple places. But this is a dis difficult concept for us to grasp because we tend to look at this idea in one particular way which makes us not apply it so much. After all, what does giving your life mean? It means you die. And so when we read a passage like some of the passages we're going to read today, or we talk about dying for the sake of the gospel, how do we interpret that? Well, these are people who are living in other countries where Christianity is banned or outlawed, and they're put to death for their faith. So we look at this and, and we think, okay, so this means you, you need to find a place, I guess, to go and preach the gospel where you could be killed. I'm not really sure how to apply that one. It's a little abstract for me. It's a little abstract, right? And then we say, well, you know, we live in a place where 
we practice freedom of belief. We are not openly persecuted for our beliefs, although there are a lot of people who may disagree with what we believe or think. We aren't persecuted, really. So we read, give up our lives for the gospel. We know we're not in a situation where we should be killed. It seems silly to try to find a situation where we should be killed. And so what do we do? Nothing. <laughs> we do nothing with that particular piece. Because it's just kind of this weird, abstract idea from the teachings of Jesus and from the Gospels. But my question is, should it be an abstract, weird idea that we can't apply? And the answer is, no. What if the idea of giving up our lives for the Gospel is something that we could all do right now? I don't know if I've ever thought of it in these particular terms, but the question that hangs in front of me this morning is this. What am I willing to give up in order to speak the gospel to someone else? What cost am I willing to pay in order to tell someone else about Jesus? What am I willing to sacrifice? Because here's the deal. I may never be asked to give up my life, bang, bang. I may never be asked to do that, but I am still told to give up my life for the sake of the gospel. So what do I need to be willing to lose so that the gospel could go out? It's a hard question. I want you to think about it. Now, Jesus made it clear to the early community that they were to spread the gospel and the disciples understood this to be a primary function, a primary function of being a follower of Jesus. Uh, when Jesus' when Jesus's last words are like these, which we're about to read, it's kind of hard to pretend like he doesn't want you to go, right? From Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. All right, so what does Jesus say here? You are disciples, and if you are disciples, what are you going to do? You're going to go, and you're going to make what? More disciples who are giving themselves to Jesus. And what will those disciples do as they become disciples of Jesus? They will go, and they will make more disciples. Disciples making disciples, making disciples, making disciples. This is no mystery, although you might not have heard this before. That's how Christianity grows is people who are following Jesus, bringing others to Jesus, who bring others to Jesus, who bring others to Jesus. How does a restaurant, a new restaurant that no one has heard of, how does it succeed? Because someone goes and they tell someone else, you should really go, who then tells their friends, who then tells their friends, who then tells their friends. Right? It's, it's not rocket science. <laughs> In order for people to come to know Jesus, the word has to go out. The word has to go out. 
Now, again, we struggle a little bit with this as a concept. And it's for this reason. When the disciples were going out and telling people about the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, to a lot of these people, they were hearing it perhaps for the first time. So the disciples were literally introducing them to the concept of the gospel, that God loves the world, that he sent his son to die for us, that we might not carry the burden of our sins. People are hearing this for the first time. So therefore, there is this literal burden, right? Because there are people out there that have not heard this message, and they need to hear the message. But we live in a time and a place where almost everyone has heard about Jesus. Yeah? Yeah. Most everyone has heard about Jesus. And so we sort of view the world around us and we see that there are a lot of people that don't believe in Jesus, but what, so, but what do we assume about them? That they have heard and, and they don't want it. We assume that. Someone doesn't follow Jesus, it's because they have heard about Jesus and they don't want it. That's a dangerous assumption for us to make. And it short circuits our willingness to go. It short circuits our willingness to go. So, something that is true for us today, the message still needs to go out. And it needs to go out over and over and over again to every corner of the world. But perhaps we need to change the way that we see this mission of going out to the world. Because here's the deal, and here's what our focus changed. Maybe this is where it starts. Just because someone thinks they know what Jesus is all about, it doesn't mean they have ever met him. It doesn't mean that. And it doesn't mean that they have ever even heard the gospel and understood it. Because what does the gospel say? God loves the world so much that he sent his son to this place to die and be resurrected so that we have life and freedom and joy. And guess what? Who you are? God loves who you are. Have, has everyone heard that about God? Has everyone experienced that from the Christian community or even just from their Christian friends? I don't think so. Because the conversations that I've had with people who have rejected Jesus don't talk about that stuff at all. They'll talk about how they were rejected or they'll talk about how they had this terrible experience or they had this need or they had this or they can't overcome these certain things. You know, Christianity, we say as Christians, are still being blamed for the Crusades in conversation with non-Christians. Because they see these stories and what do they say? 
how can I believe in a God who tells his people to do this? And what did the Crusades miss? (laughs) The love of God, right? But we're still answering for that. What is the gospel, though? It's about the love of God, and that still needs to go out, and people need to hear it, because everyone in the world, whether they have rejected Jesus or not, needs to know that God loves them deeply, dramatically. God loves them. And he doesn't want to trap them into some sort of organized system. He wants to set them free. Thank you. He wants to set them free from sin and death and shame and fear. That is what the gospel is about. And I want you to hear something very clearly. You could be the first person to introduce someone to a loving God. You could be the first person to introduce someone to a loving God. But here's the deal. Those who go, they had to be willing to walk into the worst kind of situations in order to share the gospel. And they did it knowing that it was one of the worst kinds of situations. We have, we have really excellent examples from the life of Paul. Um, and one thing we need to appreciate about Paul is that in order for him to follow Jesus, he had to give up his life. All of it. All of it. Um, Paul was on the fast track to becoming one of the religious leaders of the Jewish people. He had trained under the best rabbis. He was super smart. He understood all these different things. And then he became sort of the point of the spear for the Jewish um, religious tradition to hunt down uh, the Christians. And so he was, he was defending the faith, and, and he, was, he was like a legend. As much as Christians feared him, Paul, Saul was like a legend, right? Until God appeared to him on the road and changed his mind. Through blindness and quiet time, Paul decided to become a disciple of Jesus. And then he took on the mission of taking the gospel to the world. But you need to understand something about that. Because we look at it as, oh, what an amazing thing, which it is. But he went from being the best of the best and being respected and loved and cherished by his people to being like a homeless (laughs) traveler who had to rely on other people for food, meals, and shelter for the rest of his life. That's quite a change for someone. So he had to give up all those comfortable things so that he could go out and take the gospel to the world. And he believed in this, that his job was to take the gospel to the world, to tell everybody about the gospel, to tell everybody about Jesus. They could decide what they wanted to. They could choose to believe. They could choose not to believe. But Paul was going to make sure they heard. And he was going to make sure that they heard it in the right way. And he adapted his approach 
based on who he was talking to or where he was or what their life situations were. But he was going to make sure that they they understood who Jesus was and what he was all about. And he knew that taking the gospel to the world, he probably knew better than anyone how dangerous that could be. I mean, he's a guy that used to hunt Christians down. Does he know there's danger? Yeah. He took part in it from the other side. But he went anyway. So look at this passage. This is from Acts chapter 21, verses 7 through 14. Paul's been traveling around to different areas. And this is his reflection here. We continued our voyage from Tyre and landed at Ptolemais, where we greeted the brothers and sisters and stayed with them for the day. Leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea and stayed at the house of Philip the Evangelist, one of the seven. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. After we had been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt, tied his own hands and feet with it, and said, The Holy Spirit says, in this way, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. When he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. All right, there's, some, there's a lot going on in this particular passage, but there's, there's one thing that we need to focus on, which is what did Paul know? What did he know? If I go to this place, things could get ugly. So ugly, in fact, that I may die. But what does he say in response to that threat? What is your guys' problem? <laughs> Number one, like, just chill. I don't like seeing you upset. Um, but he says, I am ready not only to be bound, but to die in Jerusalem for what? The name of the Lord Jesus. So here's what happened in part when he got to Jerusalem. From later on in this chapter, starting in verse 27. When the seven days were nearly over, some Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul at the temple. They stirred up the crowd and seized him, shouting, Fellow Israelites, help us. This is the man who teaches everyone everywhere against our people and our law and this place. And besides, he has brought Greeks into the temple and defiled this holy place. They had previously seen uh, Trophimus the Ephesian in the city with Paul and assumed that Paul had brought him into the temple. The whole city was aroused and the people came running from all directions. Seizing Paul, they dragged him from the temple and immediately the gates were shut. While they were trying to kill him. That's an interesting phrase right there. While they were trying to kill him, news reached the commander of the Roman troops that the whole city of Jerusalem was in an uproar. He at once took some officers and soldiers and ran down to the crowd. When the rioters saw the commander and his soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. The commander came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. Then he asked who he was and what he had done. Some in the crowd shouted one thing and some another. And since the commander could not get at the truth because of the uproar, he ordered that Paul be taken into the barracks. When Paul reached the steps, the violence of the mob was so great, 
He had to be carried by the soldiers. The crowd that kept the crowd that followed kept shouting, "Get rid of him." All right. That's a <laughs> it's it's an ugly scene. And, you know, we saw some of this happen around the crucifixion of Jesus, too, where the crowd gets stirred up. And this is even, I think, a little bit more dramatic because Rome was taking, you know, the reins there with Jesus. But this is showing us about what some of these people who were speaking the gospel, about what they had to face just on their own. Paul is there on his own, and he's preaching to people and talking to people. And what do the people want to do with him? Rip them apart with their bare hands. This is what they want to do. And interestingly enough, who rescues him? Rome rescues him from the Israelites. From the Jews. And and he's taken and he's bound in prison. But it's hard to even get him to the prison. So they have to lift him up and carry him out of people's reach so that they can just get him into the building. Did Paul know that this something like this could happen? Yes, he did. But he didn't worry about the opposition he would face when he went somewhere. Why did he go there? To preach Jesus. That's why he went. And were there some there that heard what he said and believed in Jesus? Yes. So is Paul worried about everything else? No. Because he went to preach Jesus and that happened. He didn't worry about the opposition. Instead, he went somewhere expecting there to be problems with what he was telling everyone. And he even understood, and this is a weird one, he even understood that sometimes the hardships he faced actually got him to the places that God wanted him to go and share the gospel. Wrap your mind around that one for a second. He understood that the difficulty he was going to experience might put him in the place that God wanted him to be so that he could preach the gospel. That should redefine some things for you. About the difficult places you have been or the difficult places you are. Here he is still in Jerusalem and he's before the Jewish ruling council. Uh, the commander there of the guard, he's like, I don't know what to do with this guy. Let's get this in a more formal setting. So we'll go to the Sanhedrin and we'll have this trial and then they can decide what to do with Paul so I can just get rid of him and all this can be over. So from Acts chapter 23, verse 9 through 11, how do you think it went when Paul went to trial? There was a great uproar and some of the teachers of the law who were Pharisees stood up and argued vigorously. We find nothing wrong with this man, they said. What if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him? The dispute became so violent that the commander was... Oh, I should back up. Let me explain something really quick here. Paul, Paul was there on trial, and within the Sanhedrin there are Pharisees and there are Sadducees. And there are different, more or less political parties within uh, the Jewish leadership organization. And uh, <laughs> it's kind of funny, actually. Uh, the Pharisees believe in an afterlife. The Sadducees do not. So they're putting... 
uh, Paul on trial, and Paul talks about how we have eternal life with Jesus, which makes the Sadducees really angry, and so they get mad, but then the Pharisees are like, well, no, maybe this guy is speaking the truth after all. Maybe there is an afterlife, or they just start arguing about this point, but it turns on him. Um, verse 10, the dispute became so violent that the commander was afraid, again, Paul would be torn to pieces by them. He ordered the troops to go down and take him away and take them by force and bring him into the barracks. The following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, take courage as you have testified about me in Jerusalem. So you must also testify about me in Rome. It's hard for me to imagine like the anger and the violence that's going on here. But this is the second time now they want to rip him apart with their hands and uh, get this too. This is the Jewish religious ruling people and the soldiers have to fight their way in get Paul, and then fight their way out. The, the Romans do. And that's crazy. <laughs> that's crazy. But this is what happens. But then he gets back into, into prison, and what does God say to him? You're exactly where you need to be. Way to get there. Good job. You're going to get to preach in Rome. Okay? Now, if any of us were Paul, I'd be like, bro... I just want to rest. <laughs> I want a real bed. Okay, I want, you know, we sleep on an uncomfortable bed in a hotel one night. And what do we think? Lord, deliver me from this evil, right? But Paul doesn't see things that way. And here's what's really kind of interesting about this whole situation. Paul was born a Roman citizen. So he was taken out to be beaten and the guy who is going to beat him is a Roman soldier, and he turns to the Roman soldier and he said, is it okay for you to beat a Roman citizen? And the soldier's like, no. <laughs> so it comes out that, he's, that he's, a Roman, he's a Roman citizen, and he invoked his rights to trials. And so he starts climbing the ladder of trials. And he's taken to these different places and governors and, and kings in these different places. And after a long, dramatic trip, guess where homeboy ends up? Rome. The capital of the world. And we don't know how Paul died ultimately. Uh, but he preaches in Rome for a long time. And uh, the, the, some uh, historians have indicated that um, Paul died as a prisoner of Rome, uh, maybe he, p perhaps he was uh, decapitated by the Roman emperor Nero who didn't like Christians and was completely crazy. But all the trouble that he went to, all those things that he went through, they actually put him in a pos into a position where he entered the capital of the empire as a political prisoner, was protected, and could preach and teach people the gospel of Jesus Christ. That never would have heard it otherwise. Because why? He went to Jerusalem, where he knew there was trouble. So why and how was Paul able to do this? How was he able to go into all of these situations, knowing that there was going to be trouble, and still preach the gospel? And I think the answer to this is simple, but it's not simplistic. Paul cared more about people hearing the gospel and giving people the opportunity to choose life or death than he did about himself. Just period. He cared about the gospel going out more than he cared about himself. 
Teaching the gospel was all that he cared about. Jesus was what he cared about. And he wanted desperately for the entire world to hear that God loves them and that Jesus died for them and they could become something new through this. Therefore, whatever else happened to him did not matter to him if the gospel was preached. If the gospel was preached, then it was a good trip. No matter where the trip was to. Acts chapter 20, we're going to back it up a little bit. Because we have some of his words here about this from uh, verses 17 through 27. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you Publicly and from house to house, I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Now, there's a lot there. But let's just look at a couple of things. Paul believes what? Number one, everyone needs to hear about Jesus. Number two, it is his job to tell people about Jesus, or they have heard about it or not. Three, it is his job to go anywhere and talk about Jesus. Four, It is his job to talk about Jesus anywhere, (laughs) no matter where he is. But here's this last one. I don't want us to throw this away. He says to them this weird uh, thing in verse 26. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you. It's kind of a weird way to sign off, right? But there's a reason why he says that. I have given you the opportunity to have life. And if you have death, that's not my fault. You've heard the gospel. And, and listen to the kinds of things he says. He's gone out and he's told everyone that they have to repent, meaning there's something wrong with you and you need to change it. But the message that underlies all of that is that God loves you and forgives you and you can have life with him. And he's done this in their homes. He's done this in their street corners. So he can leave this place feeling good Because he did what God asked him to do, which was what? Tell everyone about the gospel. And he did this everywhere. This is from Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 23. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else 
that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Listen to this part. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Now understand what's going on here. He has been put into into prison for preaching the gospel. And while he's in prison, what is he doing? He's preaching the gospel and the whole household and palace hears the gospel because he's in prison there. And then there are people outside who hear that he's in prison and that other people are hearing the gospel and they start to feel better. Like, we should do this too. And so they start sharing the gospel. And then there's other people who are like, you know what would get Paul in more trouble? If we preach the gospel too, and then they'll think that, like, you know, there's more trouble stirring it up. So they take the words of Paul and they take those words out to other people to, like, stir up trouble and to make this happen. And Paul's like, that is awesome. Make more trouble for me. Do it. Because the gospel must go out. And it doesn't matter if you mean it. If they hear it, that's all I care about. So go ahead and try to hurt me by doing it and save someone's life forever. Amen. I mean, this is how he looks at the world. He was glad that he suffered because his suffering helped the gospel go out. And he had hope in the midst of the worst circumstances. And his hope was based, church, in one very simple thing. That God was faithful. And he had seen God's faithfulness in the most bizarre and strange way, which actually we today, in our spoiled little selves, would not consider faithfulness. He had seen God work through him in the worst of situations. And he had seen that this thing he had dedicated his life to, telling other people about Jesus, that God was making that happen over and over, even through the things that were going on to him. He knew that God was faithful not to deliver him, but to use him to tell other people about Jesus. He never asked for deliverance. He asked God to use him no matter where he was, no matter what was happening, no matter what he was doing. He has hope because God called him to spread the gospel and no matter what happened to him, the gospel was spread. Sometimes even through the efforts of the people who were trying to stop him. And that gave Paul hope because God is faithful. So what would Paul say to us? 
We don't have to really guess. It might be a little more harsh than this, though. This is what he wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 6 through 12. For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the Spirit of for the Spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me as prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus who has destroyed death, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald, an apostle, and a teacher. That is why I am suffering as I am, yet this is no cause for shame because I know whom I have believed. And I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. What would he say to us? The Spirit of God is available to you. The Holy Spirit lives in you. And the Holy Spirit living in you doesn't make you afraid. You make you afraid. The Holy Spirit doesn't say you can't do this. You say you can't do this. But the Holy Spirit will give you everything you need to tell someone about Jesus. So follow it and use it. Don't squash it down. Secondly, when you don't share the gospel, you are acting like you're ashamed of what you believe. Thirdly, Go and face the trouble. If it comes, it comes. And if it doesn't, hallelujah. But you, you are not going to just sit there knowing who Jesus is and hold that to yourself because you're afraid. Go. We are still called in a very real way to give up our lives for the sake of the gospel. And that does not mean taking a bullet. But it does mean you might face failure. It does mean someone might try to make you look bad. It does mean you might be embarrassed. Or you might feel like a fool. Or your pride might be injured. Or you might look stupid and silly. You might be called names. You might lose a friend. You might lose more than one friend. You might have someone tell you that you're awful and terrible. You might have someone say, how can you believe in this God? How can you tell me what to do? How can you believe in this? How can you? How can you? There might be some things that happen to you. And people might do or say all of those things and worse. They might. 
But they also might say, I have never heard that story. I have never heard that story. How could God love me? And you will get to say, He does love you just like you are. And He wants you to have a life that is full of grace and forgiveness. And your sin and failures won't be held against you anymore because Jesus died for you. How dare we not go? How dare we say we can't talk to someone? We don't know what to say. We don't know what to do. And we wait and we wait and we wait for the perfect opportunity to come where someone will walk up to us and say, I want to believe in Jesus. So will you tell me now who Jesus is? That's not how this works. People need to hear. And we are the ones who take Jesus to the world. We don't wait for someone else. We don't wait for the perfect opportunity. We show the love of God in a million different ways. We attribute our lives and what we do and all of it to the love of God and Jesus. And we share, 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 share. Not to beat someone over the head or to make them not like us, (laughs) but because we believe they need to hear this. That the world needs to hear this. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the example of Paul. It's difficult to understand and follow. But God, you do call us today to give up our lives for the sake of the gospel going out. Which means, God, you call us to put ourselves in situations that we do actively avoid. Hard conversations. Awkward moments. Whatever it may be, God. But God, you've given us a spirit that does not make us afraid. You've given us a spirit that gives us confidence, wisdom, that gives us courage to go out and say, I believe that Jesus is real. I believe he died for us and I believe that everyone needs him. And that doesn't make you a bad person. It just means you're like everyone else because we all need him. And God loves you. God, remove the obstacles from us. May we use your Holy Spirit to guide us and lead us. May we pray to you for wisdom to know what to do. And God, may our eyes be open to see the opportunities that we are closing our eyes to right now. Help us to grasp it and take it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. May we be those who go. Uh, If you have any need for prayers or encouragement this morning, you want to know this God who loves you in an amazing way, we invite you to come forward as we stand and sing this song together.